want to get right into my sermon series this morning called Witchcraft in the Church. Can you shout that out with me this morning? Witchcraft. Say it again. How many was here last week for the first part of the sermon series? All right, so we started last week in the sermon series, Witchcraft in the Church, and this is the second series or second sermon in that series, and I think we'll go three or four Sundays, uh, I think it's four Sundays that we'll go looking at this uh, subject of witchcraft in the church, and thank you for being receptive this morning and, and appreciative, I appreciate that so very, very much. And, and I believe that whatever you put into it is what you get out of it. So if you have a receptive heart this morning, I believe that you will receive because you are willing to listen to the Word of God. And so I encourage you to do so this morning and give your all as you listen. And, uh, and I'm not going to deal with witchcraft in particular this morning. I'm laying a foundation so I can deal with witchcraft, all right? So if you hadn't had a chance to listen to uh, the sermon from last week, then I encourage you to go to Facebook there and find our page and listen to the sermon from last week so you can get caught up. I used to get people caught up, like when I preached sermon series, I used to review, but I decided that took a long time. It took like 20 minutes of my sermon, and so uh, I have new information that I want to give out today, and so I don't have time to review. Uh, So I I trust that you will do that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open... uh, the second sermon in the sermon series called Witchcraft in the Church. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are good, you are gracious, and you are kind. Open our ears and hearts to hear your word and let it go forth in power and boldness. And everyone said a great big amen. So uh, I'm super proud of my little girl. Since I have the microphone, I can, I can boast, right? So today, she's, she's four weeks old today, so I can't believe she's grown up. So Miss Tiffany, stand up. And so we got this little red dress for her, and this little, um, this little red dress with the, um, uh, well, she had a, um, uh, like a white jacket, right? And so, but she's getting a little fussy today, so she's, she's, she's fussy, but uh, that's okay. So got a little red dress for four weeks. Is that all right? So we are really enjoying being parents. I'm, I'm sure you all have seen that, right? Really enjoying every moment of it. And so thank you once again for your prayers, your gifts, your support through all of that. I appreciate you so much. Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Listen to the scriptures. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You know, I said last week, and I think it's noteworthy to say it again, but recently the Pew Research uh, uh, data statistician place recorded that America is becoming less religious and they're becoming more spiritual. Now, I find that interesting 
America is becoming more spiritual, but they're becoming more and less religious. In other words, people are drifting away from religion and denominations, but yet they want to be classified as spiritual. Because one of the things is because a lot of people are fascinated with the supernatural. They're fascinated with the paranormal. And they don't want to be labeled in one particular group. They want to be open to the spirit world. And I am convinced that our culture and even the church is become increasingly obsessed with the supernatural or the paranormal. I mean, our culture is infiltrated with it. I mean, think about it. Not just during Halloween, but you, you can see people dressing up in different colors, representing ghosts and witches. And there's movies about zombies and demons and psychics and New Age and Mother Earth and mysticism. It's very, very common in our society. The Pew Research also indicated, and I found this interesting. I said that last week. I said this last week, but it's noteworthy for me to say it again. But 40% of Christians in the church, they believe in the psychics. 29% of Christians believe in reincarnation, while 20% of Christians believe in astrology. In other words, they believe that the stars and the planets can, can tell about your life or the future that you, might, that you have. Have you, ever been, uh, have you ever noticed that our video games, our movies, uh, our TV shows are becoming increasingly more about the demonic? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, last week, I showed you a plethora of images of TV shows and movies that recently have come out and even in the past. Uh, Both, you can just throw a few of them up there. One of the movies is called Ouija. Uh, you, you can see a, a woman or a little girl, a teenage girl being levitated off of her bed. That's a movie that, that's out that people are watching. I mean, an endless, and there's several other uh, images that they can go through. Uh, these are movies that's being propagated to our families and to our children, and they're quite popular. Um, Pastor Brandon came to me the other day and said, Pastor, I want you to see this. And uh, Uh, He didn't know about it. Of course, I didn't know about it either. But when I began to read about it and do research, I found out that this is really being propagated to to people in our culture. And it's quite popular. And I didn't even know about it, obviously, because I don't watch it or look at it. But anyway, it's really amazing what's out there if you take time to look. And one of the things that was out there was an adult cartoon. Um, It's an adult cartoon where a mother is impregnated by Satan, and her daughter becomes the Antichrist. And so her daughter tries to live a normal life, but she can't live a normal life because of uh, of the demonic powers that she's facing every day. And I actually forget, uh, I think the name of it's called Little Demon, is actually. It's called Little Demon. Now it's a cartoon, an adult cartoon, but as obviously as you know, children are going to watch this. Now on CBS which is the Christian broadcasting station, they were interviewing a local pastor when he was dealing with this issue of Little Demon. Now, put that back up here. Little Demon is a show where a woman becomes impregnated by Satan himself and the daughter is the Antichrist. And Satan is surprised. 
that uh, it's a girl, you know, it should be a boy because it's Antichrist. And so this whole adult cartoon is about this girl having demonic powers and she goes to hell to visit her father, Satan. It's very, very demonic and yet it's being propagated in our culture and is being propagated in our society. And my friends, if you have children, we have to be careful what our children watch. We have to be careful what they look at because your eye is a gate to your soul and your ears is a gate to your soul as well. And it may seem innocent at first, but the devil is not going to come to you with a pitchfork and horns. He's going to come to you innocently. He's going to come to you in humor. He's going to come to you with something that doesn't look bad. Isn't that the problem? He came to Eve in the garden and she partook of a fruit. She didn't think the fruit was bad. She missed a great thing because she fell for a good thing. And that's what happens so many times is the devil comes through good things or things that don't look harmful, but yet it's very harmful to our soul. And there's a five-minute clip. I know it's, it's a little long, but, and I debated about showing it, and I decided I wanted to show it because they have a conversation. This local pastor is quite uh, upset over this, this cartoon that's being propagated in society, and he gives a good definition of what's going on in our society. And I want you to take a few moments to listen to CBS as they discuss this adult cartoon called Little Demon. So let's get right into this show, Little Demon. This is a show that's airing on FXX, a network owned by Disney. What was your reaction when you saw what this show was? They are trying to desensitize us and our kids to the demonic. It's that simple. We've seen that over and over and over again, but a show comes out and the attempt is to make something that biblically is not normal, normal, trying to accept something that God clearly opposes. It's, and it's disgusting. You know, I'm seeing some reactions from people, even some people in the church saying, oh, don't fall for the trap. Don't speak out on this. Let it go. They're just trying to market off of Christians, you know, the way that we're reacting to it. How do you respond to those people who would give those critiques? Because it does seem to almost diminish the, the reaction to it. Yeah, well, listen, they have a billion dollar industry behind them. And it's very difficult if every single one of us got loud about it to be louder than that voice. But, you know, go back to the motives. I would challenge anybody, the lead actress, Aubrey Plaza, she literally said this in an interview about this show. I love that we are normalizing paganism. This is verbatim what she said. Laura is a pagan. She's a witch. She's jacked. She's got to protect her daughter against demons. And she's just got to get her house in order. And so the motive is revealed by the actresses uh, in interviews. It's very clear that they have they have an agenda. Yeah. And Laura, for those who don't know, is the mother in this show. And just for background, so people understand, because for a lot of people, this might be new. They don't know what Little Demon is. Um, and, you know, great for them. Unfortunately, we know what it is and we have to talk about it. Uh, but but Laura is the mother who who mated with Satan and had the Antichrist. That is what this cartoon is about. So you have some background on sort of what this is. But let me ask you this, because you are on the front lines of dealing with these spiritual issues. When you see a show like this that is out in the mainstream and being promoted, what does that tell you about the state of our culture? 
Well, I think there's a war spiritually going on. The book of Ephesians talks about it, and our kids will be the casualties. There's a fight over a generation. You know, this show is through Disney, through FX, uh, but and it's and they're going to tell you it's an adult show, but we all know that children want to watch the things that they shouldn't watch. And so it's a cartoon. It's in a format kids love, and the main character is in middle school. And so it's highly relatable to kids that are in an age where they're making decisions about their identity. And we have to uncover what I believe are the works of the enemy as strategies to, to literally condition our children. Yeah, it's interesting because there's two elements to this. And you and I were talking about this the other day, but I think it's important we sort of drive this home. You have one camp that might look at this and say, oh, look, they're, they're putting out these paganistic themes, these Satanist themes in this cartoon, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's an 18 year old watching it, a 30 year old, it obviously matters if it's a kid and we know kids are going to want to be attracted to this, but you have that camp, right? And then you have sort of the other camp that, that just wants to laugh it off. Well, they made a cartoon about this silly stuff that isn't even real. So it seems like there's almost two simultaneous dangers here. We're elevating this stuff while at the same time, almost mocking it, making a cartoon of it as though it's not real. I don't know if you want to speak to those two dynamics, but they, they both seem problematic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can watch the trailer for this show. And at one particular point, there's a line where one of the characters says, if my parents ever show up to a party, murder me. And you, you've got these things where whether whatever spectrum you're on, whether you think this is real or you think that the spiritual reality is fake, I think we can all universally agree that murder is wrong. And so this this cartoon format is filled with uh, scenes and images that really are, are atrocious. And so it's getting to the point where um, you can say it's humor, but what are the effects of the humor? What are the effects of desensitizing people and normalizing these images, the, the murderous images that were in this show, just even in the trailer? And so here's the thing. First, it starts out like a joke, but then when you have to deal with the repercussions of feeding this content to the masses, it's not that funny anymore. Well, and, and last question for you, because you deal with spiritual warfare, you deal with these things as a pastor, as a revivalist, the things that you do, what is going on in culture more broadly? It seems like we're seeing more of this occultic content, not just in cartoon form, we're actually seeing Ouija boards and things like that out in the mainstream more than I have in my entire life. What are you seeing on that front? Yeah, I mean, to anyone watching, we are not fighting atheism. We are actually fighting the new age and counterfeit spirituality. And I'll just tell you, the Bible says Satan comes as an angel of light. And so he's not going to come as, as a complete and total opposite because we would all discern that. We would say, oh, it's the devil, but actually it comes in the form of humor and, oh, we're just making fun of it. Or it comes in the form of Ouija boards and, you know, uh, burning sage and these counterfeit spiritual practices. And, but here's the thing, again, the motive is so plain to see. Once you open your eyes to it, you can't unsee it. When you go to the local bookstore or even the grocery store nowadays here in the United States, they have books about palm reading and tarot cards, but they're all within eye level of your children. And to go a step further, they even have books, tarot cards for kids. And these are normal things now. This is not just some fringe item that you find in like that one store in the mall. This is at national chains. And again, I would challenge anybody to see for yourself it's becoming more and more uh, popular for people to say, well, I want to be spiritual, 
but I don't want to be a religious Christian. And what they've lost in the midst of that is Christ. Mm. And there's a lot, there's a lot more to unpack here and we'll have you back again soon to do that, but appreciate you speaking into this. It's Mike Signorelli, pastor of V1 Church in New York City. Where can people find you for more information on what you do in your ministry? So you see the point, he did an excellent job expounding on this video that's out. And so thank you for bearing with me as you watch that video. The point that I'm trying to make is that our culture is normalizing paganism. And we are not fighting against atheism. We are fighting against a false religious system now. More people are becoming more spiritual and not religious. They don't want to be attached to Christ They don't want to be attached to the church, but yet they want to participate in spirituality. They want to participate with the divine. They want to participate in paganism. They want the experience. And that is the culture that we are living in. And you can see that in the movies, in TV shows, and cartoons as being propagated uh, in our society. Our culture is normalizing it. You will see Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm readings, and horoscopes. The other day, Tiffany and I were in TJ Maxx, and as we were in TJ Maxx, just happened to walk down the kitchen aisle, and to my right, this is what I saw. The picture, please. So you see at the bottom, you see prayer cards for Christians, and on the top, you see tarot cards. You see how our society is mixing Christianity with paganism and they're mixing it because and Pentecostals are some of the worst, worst at it because we love experience. We love the feeling we love. You don't know how many people have I met that attends a Pentecostal church, but later left and went to Mormonism or went to Jehovah Witness, or went to some sort of spirituality thing because they wasn't getting enough glory in the Pentecostal church. It's very dangerous, my friends. Very, that's why it's very important for you to be rooted in the Word and be rooted in Scripture, because if not, you could be led astray. The Scripture says, In the last days, some will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Anything that's real, there's a counterfeit for. And I'm a firm believer that the power of God is real. And I'm a firm believer that the power of God can raise you up and heal you and give you an experience that you will never forget. I'm a firm believer with that. But I'm also believe that the devil wants to come and give people a counterfeit experience as well. Can I hear an amen? I never want to dismiss the power of God, and I never want to dismiss what God can do. I am a believer in the power of God. I am a believer in miracles. I'm a believer in the supernatural. But I'm a believer in the presence of God. The true and living God who revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And so we got to keep things in the context of Scripture. I don't care if a dead relative shows up to you. It, you ha- it has to be in context of Scripture. Scripture trumps your experience. I'm going to say that again. Scripture trumps your experience. I don't care if somebody came to you that was born in 1865 and told you something that nobody else knows. The scripture says, Paul said, that if an angel comes to you and preaches you anything else besides what I've preached to you, you curse that thing. Scripture is first. Then your experience. I said this last week, but I think it's noteworthy to say it again. Most people leave churches because of preferences. They don't leave churches because of false doctrine. Because most people don't even know what's false doctrine. They don't even know what it is. 
And that's very sad that we live in a culture where we, we desire preferences. We desire our ego to be stroked. We desire the church services to be like what we want. And we never pay attention to the doctrine, the teaching that's being preached behind the pulpits. And people will leave churches and jump here and there because they like preferences instead of sound biblical teaching. And that is where we find ourselves in the culture. My friends, my point is this. My point is this. You have to align everything with the context of Scripture. Scripture trumps it all. Can I hear an amen? Scripture trumps it all. Say it again. Scripture trumps it all. Say it again. Scripture trumps it all. Years ago in my teenage years, I was preaching a revival. Somebody comes to me in the prayer line and taps my shoulder and said, Pastor, pray for me. I was an evangelist. And I said, yes, ma'am, what can I pray for you about? She said, well, I... uh, I, I want to have sex with the pastor and I want to divorce my husband. That was her exact words to me. I was a 20-year-old man. I about fell out at the altar. And then I said to the woman, how do you find that this is Scripture? And she said, well, this is what I just feel is right. My friends, your feelings can be corrupted. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. And just because you feel it doesn't mean it's correct. You are corrupt. You have been corrupted by the sin of Adam. And that is why going to church, reading the Bible, and participating in spiritual disciplines, what does that do? It helps you to grow more like Jesus. And if you're not growing more like Jesus, you're, be- you're unintentionally becoming more like the world. And if you're unintentionally becoming more like the world, then why do you think your feelings and your thoughts and your perceptions are always godly? They're not. You see, we got to be aware of Satan's deceptions. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, listen to what Paul said. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The word schemes is tricks. We're not unaware of his tricks. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and horns. He comes as an angel of light. Because what does the enemy do? He deceives. His name means slander, accuser, deceiver. That is what the enemy does. He is at his core a deceiver. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, and I quote, Put on the armor of God so that you may stand against the devil's what? Schemes. You may stand against the devil's tricks because the devil is a trickster. Trick or treat. He's a trickster. He wants to trick you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Before I talk about witchcraft, I said last week, I want to lay a foundation. Number one, last week we talked about the devil is real. Everybody shout, the devil is real. Today we're going to talk about one thing. The devil is fallen. Everybody shout, the devil is fallen. Next week, we're going to learn that the devil is limited. Say, the devil is limited. And last, on the last series, we're going to learn that the devil is deceitful. And in that sermon series, we'll learn about witchcraft and the tricks and the schemes of the enemy. So we're going to learn, number one, the devil is real. Number two, the devil is fallen. Number three, the devil is limited. And number four, the devil is deceitful. Today, we will only deal with one item. That's number two. 
Last week, we dealt with the devil is real and the devil is personal. I said last week, the devil is real because Jesus gave mention of the devil many times throughout the Gospels because Jesus realized the devil was real. Jesus called the devil the evil one. He called him the enemy. He called him the prince of the world. He called him a murderer. He called him a liar, a father of lies, the prince and power of the air, an an adverse, uh, an accuser, a thief, an adversary. Over and over, Jesus referred to the enemy because the enemy is real and the enemy is personal. That was last week. Today, we're going to learn that the devil is fallen. The devil is fallen. One time, shout real loud, the devil is fallen. The question we got to ask ourselves is, where did the devil come from? What does it mean that the devil is fallen? Who created him? All of these are important questions. But I believe that we must go to the Bible to find these answers. There is other literature that tells us where Satan has come from, but that does not hold authority in our eyes. The Scripture holds authority. What does the Bible say about Satan? Now this morning, I am not giving any credit to the devil, nor am I praising the devil, nor am I giving any more uh, time to the devil than he needs. I am preparing you as your pastor to be prepared who he is, his schemes, and knows that he is limited in your life so that you can effectively fight against the spiritual forces of darkness that's coming against you in this postmodern society. Where did he come from? Who is he? Well, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, the devil appears for the first time. You open the Bible and there he appears in chapter 3. The third chapter in the book, he appears. The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent who was craftier than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of the tree of the garden? That is Satan's character. He's an accuser. He's a liar. He makes you doubt the word of God. And he comes right then, and he comes as a serpent. Everybody shout serpent. Now how do I know that this is Satan? Well, because Scripture interprets Scripture. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9, and I quote, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth, and his angels with him. Do you see the scripture in verse 9 of chapter 12 of Revelation? It said that Satan was cast down. And the writer here, who is John, said that his name is Satan. He's the devil. And he is a serpent. He is a dragon. And the Bible refers to Satan as a serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Satan comes to Adam and Eve as a serpent. And begins to deceive Adam and Eve. Now the question I want to ask this morning is this. In Genesis chapter 1, everything that God created was good. The Bible tells us. Very, uh, very good. He said, when God created the world, He said it was good. But yet in Genesis chapter 3, you see somebody coming on the scene that wasn't good. Everything that God created was good, but yet in Genesis chapter number 3, a serpent who is the devil comes, and we know he isn't good. 
So what in the world happened between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3? God created everything in heaven and earth and it was good. But in Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes along and he isn't good. So what happens here? Very closely, I want to read to you two scriptures in the Old Testament. Most theologians believe that these scriptures refer to Satan or what we call Lucifer and and, and it's symbolic of his fall. Now, there will be some people that will try to argue that, but I want to bring out a point to you why I believe, too, that it does represent Lucifer in the Old Testament, and these passages of scriptures symbolically represent Satan's fall. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse number 11, out of the Living Bible, Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse number 11, this message comes from the Lord, son of dust, Weep. Tell. The Lord says, you were the perfection of wisdom and what? Beauty. Everybody say, perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in the garden of God, clothed with every jewel that's beautiful. They were given to you on the day that you were created. And I appointed it to you as an appointed guardian angel. For you had access to the holy mountain of God, and you walked among the stones of fire. You were perfect in all that you did from the day that you were created until time, until time when wrong was found in you. Your great wealth filled you with internal turmoil, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out of the mountain of God like a common sinner. I destroyed you, O great angel, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. Therefore, I have cast you down to the ground, exposed you as helpless before the kings of the earth. You defiled your holiness with lust for grain. Therefore, I brought forth fire from your own actions and let it be burned and let you be burned to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who are watching you. Now, look at this scripture. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 2, two scriptures which symbolically represent the fall of Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, out of the New King James, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the further sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet ye shall be brought down to Shiloh to the lowest parts of the pit. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12 through 15. These passages are referring specifically to the king of Babylon. We know that. In context, in history... It's referring to a particular king. But I believe that these references is also a reference to the spiritual power that was behind the kings in the Old Testament. These passages are referring more to an earthly king. When you begin to read these two passages from Ezekiel and Isaiah, it has to be more than an earthly king. Why? Four things. Number one, in these passages... Number one, this person was said that he was in the Eden, the garden of God. Now, we know in the book of Hebrews, whatever was here was there. 
There was a garden of Eden on earth, but there's a garden of Eden in heaven. There was a tabernacle on earth where Moses got the, 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 the architectural plans. It was one in heaven as well. So obviously, Lucifer, this person, was in a garden in heaven. He came from that garden to the garden on earth to deceive Adam and Eve. Number two, the scripture refers to him in Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen as an angel. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, verse 12, that this person was fallen from heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, verse 13, that this person wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God. And then in Isaiah 14, verse 14, this person wanted to ascend to the heights of the clouds. Now, my friends, those two passages I read to you, although it does refer to a king, the king of Babylon, and another king, in the context of history, but I believe that it is also referring to the fall of Satan because of the things that I just listed to you, because this does not represent a human being. It is an angel. It refers to someone fallen from heaven. It refers to someone being lifted up in pride. And I believe that this is symbolically referring to Satan or Lucifer's fall. How do I know this? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. Look at this Scripture. Revelation chapter 9, verse number 1. The Bible says that, uh, that John said this, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. To him was given to the key to the bottomless pit. So even John here refers to a certain star that had fallen from heaven. And what does a star represent? A star, according to Job 42, represents angels. The stars, the host of heaven, can also represent angels. Here, an angel was fallen to earth from heaven, and he was given the key to the bottomless pit. I believe that these scriptures symbolically refer to Satan's fall. I want you to notice seven things from the two scriptures I read to you about Satan or Lucifer. Number one, he's a created angel. Number two, he was perfect in wisdom and beauty. Number three, he was in the garden of God. Number four, he had access to the mountain of God. Number five, his heart was lifted up in pride. Number six, he was cast out. And number seven, his name was called Lucifer. These are the seven things that you get from those passages. He's an angel. He was perfect. He had wisdom. He was in the garden of God. He had access to the presence of God. He lifted himself up in pride and he was cast out. His name means Lucifer, which means the son of the morning. The son of the morning. He was cast out of heaven. He was a created angel. He did not pre-exist. He was created by God to be an angel. But this angel rebelled, had an insurrection in heaven, rebelled against God and the host of heaven, and God cast him out of heaven because of the insurrection. Now, where, when did the fall of Lucifer happen? You ever ask that question? When did the fall of Lucifer happen? If you read the scripture, does the scripture tell us when the fall actually occurred? When did it happen? Did it happen before Genesis chapter 1? Did it happen before Genesis chapter 3? When did it happen? That is a question that you and I need to explore. We know that it had to happen before Genesis chapter 3. 
Because Lucifer, who is represented as a, ser- uh, as a serpent, appears to Adam and Eve. So it had to happen before Genesis chapter 3. But it also had to happen after the creation of angels. The creation of angels happened because God created the angels when He was creating mankind. When He was creating the universe and the world. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And He created angels in that process. The Bible says in Job 38 verse 4, this is God talking to Job, and I quote, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you had understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, there you go, Angels sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, God is speaking to Job here in his distress. He's saying, I stretched out the heavens. I made the earth and I also made the stars of heavens. I made the angels too. So the question is, is when did the fall of Lucifer happen? Satan fell. Therefore, his fall must have occurred somewhere after the time of the angels were created and before the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. We don't know how long it occurred. We don't know what day it was, what year it was. But we do know that the fall of Satan happened before Genesis chapter 3 and it happened after the creation of angels because Lucifer is a created angel. I want you to notice the insurrection. What did Lucifer do? He fell from heaven. What caused this fall? Well, the Bible says in Revelation 12 verse 7, John is prophetically speaking of something that happened in times past. This is what John said in Revelation 12 verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with that dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found in them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth. His angels was cast out with him. You see, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 verse 18, Jesus is referring, he, he, the, the, the 70 came back and said they cast out Satan. And Jesus stood up and said this, I saw Satan fall from heaven As lightning. So, what happened here? Satan himself started an insurrection in heaven. He had some angels to follow his leadership. And he wanted to overthrow God. He wanted to extend his power and might over the true God of heaven. Remember what the scripture says? I will exalt myself. I will exalt my throne before the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of congregation. I will ascend to the the heights of the heavens. I will be like the Most High. He caused an insurrection and angels followed Him. Which tells me that these angels had a free choice. These angels had a free choice whether to stay or whether to go. And Lucifer had a free choice. That is what what makes worship beautiful. Is when you do it from a free choice. And Lucifer chose to rebel against God. Even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 41, 
Jesus said, Then He will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus made reference here that the devil has some angels and those angels were with Him in the insurrection of heaven. The most common view is is that these fallen angels, the angels of Lucifer, are now demon spirits. These demon spirits are free. And Lucifer is free as well. Contrary to popular opinion in the church, Lucifer is not in hell. And these demons are not in hell either. The demons and Lucifer are free. And they're roaming throughout the earth seeking to devour people. Seeking to kill people. Destroy, control, manipulate, and possess. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I agree with that. Let me prove to you in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. The writer said it like this, and I quote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Look at this scripture, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Listen to the context here. When he arrived to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do, you win, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What is the appointed time? The appointed time is at the end of age where Jesus Christ will throw Lucifer, that great dragon, that serpent, into the everlasting fire and he will throw the angels into the fire with him. Hallelujah. And I'm going to be right there to see it all go down, my friends. Hallelujah. But what is Satan doing? Those Satan and those demons are roaring and they are roaming the earth seeking whom they may devour. The demons desire to possess people. If you are a Christian, there's no Fear in the demons possessing you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You are the temple of God. You are possessed with the Spirit of God. And can't no demon get inside of you. If you can be oppressed by demons. Demons can oppress you. Demons can vex you. Demons can speak to you. You can rebuke demons. You can resist them. But they can't possess you. But somebody who is not a Christian. Somebody who is dabbling in tarot cards and Ouija cards and, 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 and the paganism. They open themselves up to be possessed by demonic forces. And I want to let you know that I still believe that there's power in the name of Jesus to cast out every demon and every devil on earth. Can I hear an amen? Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I still believe there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. That at his name, every demon has to bow. Hallelujah. You see, those demons are fallen angels, but do you know that some angels are not free? Some demons are not free. Jude, verse number 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, and is set forth as an example of suffering for the vengeance of eternal fire. Do you see what it's saying here? There are some angels who left 
their abode. Do you see it? Verse 6. They left heaven. They left in the insurrection. But these angels are not free. They're chained up in a place somewhere. That sounds mystical, don't it? But even Peter says it. He echoes the same thing that Jude says. Or Jude echoes the same thing that Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. There are a sect of angels that are not free. According to Scripture, they're bound. Why would they be bound? There's many different popular opinions about why these angels would be bound and the rest are free. Many people believe in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God came down and they slept with the daughters of men and as a result, giants were born. Many people believe that because of that, they went after strange flesh. God took those angels that committed that crime in Genesis chapter 6 and reserved them in chains for judgment. In closing, why did Lucifer fall? Why did Lucifer fall? He was beautiful. He was perfect. He was created. Why did he fall? The Bible is clear. Ezekiel 28 verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. Why did Lucifer fall? Because he lifted his heart up in pride. He lifted his heart up in beauty. Look at the Scripture. In Isaiah 14, verse 12 again. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have been cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations, for you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the heavens. I will be like the Most High. You will be brought down to Shiloh to the lowest depths of the pit. My friends, why did Lucifer fail? Oh, let, let, let me remind you. Go back. If he, uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12. I want you to see a common theme here. How you fall into the ground. You who weaken the nations. Go on. For you have said in your heart, I will exalt. I will ascend. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation. He had an I problem. And anytime you have an I problem, you will make sure you will fail every time. It's a pride problem. And that's one sin. Pride is the sin of all sins. It is from pride every other sin is conceived. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 5 verse 20, the Bible says this, and when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. When you walk in pride, I promise you, quick will be your destruction. God opposes those who are prideful. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will retain honor. I don't know about you, but I want to walk before God with a humble heart. 
I don't want to walk before God as if God owes me something. I want to walk before God with a generous, humble heart, knowing that everything I have belongs to God and that I'm not going to take glory for anything. The children He gave me, they belong to Him. The grass I walk on, it belongs to Him. The breath I breathe, it belongs to Him. The hand... Everything I have, I don't want to stand up in here in the church house acting like God owes me anything. Richard Foster said this, and I quote, Pride is one of those socially acceptable sins in some corners of evangelical culture. It is straight out of ego gratification. How important am I? Whether my name gets on the building or whether it gets on the TV program or the magazine article. The Bible says in James 4, verse 12, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He might exalt you in due time. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is my prayer today as we close. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? What was the fall of Lucifer? Pride. And pride will be your downfall. When you walk with a humble heart, a generous heart, not setting up in church with an egotistical attitude, As if God owes me something. God has already done enough. And I live to honor God. I live to honor God. Everything I do, I live to honor Him. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. Lucifer fell because of pride. The devil was real. The devil was fallen. The devil was limited. And the devil was deceitful. Part three next week. The devil was limited.